Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. It reminded me of someone asked a question in a crowded room. If, if your money could talk, what's it saying? Someone stood up and said, mine is always saying goodbye. Can anybody relate to that? Money always saying goodbye. Well, good morning. My name is Rick Thompson. I'm the pastor here at Living Water Community Church. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. Today, we begin a brand new series that we have entitled, Say What? Matter of fact, try that. Say that with me. Say what? You got to say it that way. It, 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 it don't make sense unless you say it that way. Say what? It, because it's based on the premise that knowing what God has to say is critical. Anyone believe that? Especially as we navigate through this life in these uncertain times. And it's equally important to know what he isn't saying, what he's not saying. It may sound like it comes from the Bible, but did it? Does it really? Can you give me chapter and verse? Here are a few examples of quotes that are attributed to the Bible but really aren't Scripture at all. Money is the root of all evil. Anyone ever heard that one? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Cleanliness is good, but that's not a quote you'll find in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. How many know it's quite the opposite? Right? Unto the, anyone heard this one? Unto thine own self be true. That's, I, I, I see people with tattoos of that. That is, the concept of that is in the Bible. You'll be surprised who you're quoting. And what exactly is the unpardonable sin? You've committed the unpardonable sin. There are people who are constantly saying stuff along those lines. What is it? With a lot of these topics we're going to be tackling starting today and over the next few weeks, and I want you to take the time to make a commitment to say, I'm going to be here for these next few weeks for these messages. Now, if you're listening to me online, I'd like for you to like and subscribe and share this message. Like, subscribe, and share this message if you like what you hear. Say, what is the message? Now, we're going to hit on the first one, the, the one that says money is the root of all evil, if you, if you haven't guessed it. I've heard people quote that, misquoted often over the years. It's in the Bible, but you'll be surprised to know that, the, that they've dropped off a few words which absolutely changes its meaning. This is what it says in the Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Help me out. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Do you see that? Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. And so right away we see that it's not money that's the root of all evil. How many know that we need money? I'd rather have money than not have money. Come on, somebody. We need money. The problem isn't money. The problem is the love of it. The love of money is an easy trap for people to fall into because of the deception that it's somehow going to be the cure-all and the be-all for all of our problems. That somehow it's going to be the key to the happiness in our life. If I just had enough of it, I'm going to be happy. How many of you know there are very unhappy, rich people in this world? Come on, somebody. The preceding verse of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 speaks to this. In 1 Timothy 6, 
3 through 9, it says, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words and results in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means of financial gain, but godliness with contentment, the Bible says, is what? Is great gain. Why? For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. First uh, Timothy 6, 9, the message says it this way, that last verse. But if it's only money that these leaders are after, they'll self-destruct in no time. In other words, when your life becomes an endless pursuit of money or the mighty dollar bill, you will eventually, the Bible says, self-destruct. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and I'll continue to say it. Listen closely. God does not have anything against us having money. If he did, he'd have to apologize to some of the people in the Bible. Some of the richest people in the Bible who followed God you know, had money. They had riches. They had resources. Abraham and Solomon and, all, and the like. All right? His problem comes when money has us. Come on, somebody. Are you guys out there with me? Or when money is controlling us. Or when money is the first thing and the last thing on our mind all the time. When money become, becomes an idol in our lives. He doesn't want anything to become an idol in our lives. Not money, not, not substances, not anything to be an idol in our lives. But when money becomes an idol, believe it or not, it, it, this is something that could affect both rich people and poor people. It's not uh, exclusive, oh, only rich people have this problem. No, <laughs> this is a problem for everybody. A few years ago, I was talking to my pastor friend of mine about the tithe. And he said he believes in it, but he knows people who don't have the tithe to give. And, and so during the conversation, I kind of let, let it go for a while. And I asked him for clarification. I circled back. I said, when I came back to the subject, I said, how do you not have the tithe to give? How, how does that work? Because my point is, he, and he gave me his example, sometimes you have more month than money and all that stuff. And we've heard that before, right? But my point is simply this. The tithe is built in the, into the supply. Write that down somewhere. The tithe is built into the supply. In other words, if God gives you, well, I took this out. Might as well do that. If God supplied you with a dollar, what's the tithe? That's not complicated, right? If God gives you a dollar, the supply, the tithe is built into it. It's 10 cents. If God gave you $5, what's the tithe? Some of you are thinking hard. It's 50 cents, right? $5, 10% of, of, of that. If God gave you $10, what's the tithe? How, how much? One. So it's built in the supply. If he gave you $20, what is it? Two. Hundred dollars. Ten. What if he gave you five hundred dollars? Fifty. What if he gave you a thousand dollars? Ten. 
Then, then it starts going backwards again. <laughs> in, some, in some people's mind. So, so the tithe is built into, or the, into the supply. So if, who can say that God gave them nothing? Who can honestly say that? That's why I took issue with when he said that. See, it's not an issue of, it's not, an issue of not having it. It's an issue of discipline in a lot of cases. Some people aren't disciplined enough to do the tithe. Some people are not obedient to the tithe. Some people are not trusting in the tithe. They don't believe that God's going to supply their needs, so they don't do it. But it's never an issue of not having it because it's built into supply. Does that make sense? And so for that reason, listen to me, there are people who will remain chronically in need because they keep a tight grip on their money or the supply or the source that God gives them. And consequently, their money has a tight grip on them, and they refuse to release it to God so that he can bless you. Put up your hands like this. Everyone do this. Put your hands up. Now open it up. Open it up. Open it up. Now close it again. Now open it up. Now let me just tell you this. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. Amen? And unfortunately, the place that he finds many people's heart is surrounding their treasures, and their treasure is their money. So when he's going after your money, he's actually touching a heart issue for some people. And he's saying, listen, this should not be a priority or the number one priority in your life. I should be the number one, or he should be the number one priority in our lives. Does that make sense? Now, let me remind you of what verse 7 says again. He says, we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. No U-Hauls at funerals. You are not taking any, when you and I die, you're not bringing your money with you. You're not bringing your stocks and your bonds. You're not bringing your 401ks. You're not bringing, what's the new thing out there today? Bitcoin and Dodge. Is it Dodge? Doge? Is it the new thing? You're not bringing any of that with you. You're not bringing your fancy cars. You're not bringing your house. You're not bringing your fancy shoes. They may bury you in your, fa- your fa- fancy shoes, but it's still going to be there. <laughs> it's not going with you into eternity. And so when the scripture says, listen, we brought nothing into this world and we can't take nothing out, that's what it means. You're not taking anything out of this world with you. That's why the Bible teaches us that with the supply that he gives us, he tells us to be generous or to be open-handed. If God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. In other words, we need to open up our hands, and when we open up our hands, the blessing comes. Does that make sense? Now, there's a caveat to that. You can't just open up your hands anywhere. Some people say, well, Pastor Rick, I've heard that message before, and so I opened up my hands. I opened up my hands in Atlantic City, and now I'm broke. What, what, what happened in Vegas stayed in Vegas, <laughs> including your money. Come on, somebody. Some of you have been opening up your hands to, to the Macy's catalog a little bit too much. You know what I'm talking about, right? Or, or the Lord and Taylor's. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm <laughs> so don't point no fingers. But I know those packages are steady showing up at your house. Matter of fact, they made it easier than they've ever, ever, ever been before, right? We got a pandemic going on now. Now there's no reason to go into the box stores. I can just get the little catalog out, and I'm, and I'm opening up my hands to that. And now you're, having, now you're having the issue of more money, more month than money. 
Now you're having the issue of the shortages because you're saying, yes, you are generous, but you're, but you're generous and not, not in all the right places. Come on, somebody. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, some of us, it's the big toys like the cars and, <laughs> and the boats and all those other things. The big, the big screen televisions. All right? You got to be careful as to where you're opening it up. Amen? We're going to circle back to that. Which brings me to the three ancient lies that the enemy tells us, and it should be on your outline, concerning money. Matter of fact, right above concerning money, put lies concerning money. Lies concerning money. The first thing he tells us is that our wealth is the measure of our worth. Our wealth is the measure of our worth. The second thing is that our wealth is the source of our security the source of our security. And then lastly, he tells us that contentment is just around the corner. Now let's take the first one first. Our wealth is the measure of our worth. How many know that that's not true? This is what the Bible has to say about that. Proverbs 11.4 says, Riches won't help on the day of judgment, but what does? Right living can save you from death. And so Jesus tells us a story that kind of illustrates that point in Luke chapter 12, verse 15 through 21. He says, then he said, beware, God, God against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know I'll, be, I'll tear down my barns and big, build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, you fool. How many know that God's always going to get the last word? God said, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, this is Jesus talking. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. He's not against the storing up of earthly wealth. He's against not having a rich relationship with God. Come on, somebody. That's what he's against. He's against doing all this stuff and ignoring your creator. Luke 12, 31 tells us the order in which we should prioritize our lives. He says, seek the kingdom of God. Help me, somebody. Above all else. Above all else. What does that mean, above all else? It means first. It means numero uno. It means the top spot. Does that apply to your relationships? It absolutely does. God wants to be first in your relationship. Does it apply to your children? Yes, it does. Does it apply to your finances? Yes. Above all else means just that. Above all else, seek the kingdom of God. And then what would happen? Then he will give you what? Anyone have needs in here? Especially do we have needs in here. Come on. Especially during these times that we've been going through. We have needs. That's the secret to getting your needs met. 
is to put God first in every area of your life as best you can. And then allow him to direct your generosity and to give, bring blessings into your life. Does that make sense? Because he's our source. We're going to see that in just a moment. Our wealth is never the measure of our eternal worth. But neither is it the source of our security. Proverbs 23.5, it says, Riches disappear in the blink of an eye. Wealth sprouts wings and flies off into the wild blue yonder. That's your money saying goodbye. Come on, somebody. I mean, think about it. How many rags to riches, back to rags stories have we heard about the lottery? I've shared a few. We've heard about Jeffrey Dampier, $20 million in the Illinois lottery. He had a tragedy that happened to him. His wife won, he and his wife won $20 million prize back in 1996. He used the winnings to help his family, which was good, out by buying them houses and the like. He also started a gourmet popcorn store in Tampa, Florida, which performed quite well and provided jobs for his family. But in July of 2005, Dampier went to visit his sister-in-law and her boyfriend and she, because she claimed that she had car trouble, and her boyfriend pulled out a pistol on him, and the two kidnapped him and killed him for his money. They unfortunately were convicted in 2006 and received life sentences for their crimes. There was Evelyn Adams, $5.4 million in the New Jersey lottery. In the mid-'80s, Adams won the lottery twice, once in 1985, again in 1986, to defy all odds against her. The New Jersey native won a cool $5.4 million, but was a heavy gambler. And with Atlantic City being located in New Jersey, it wasn't long before Adams had lost all her money. Today, she now lives in a trailer park and is flat broke. How about Luke Petard, $1.9 million in the UK lottery. $1.9 million may sound like a lot, but it, it, it's not. Welsh-born Luke Petard, he won $1.3 million uh, 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 but it's equivalent to 1.9 over here, 200 in 2006, but spent it all on a trip to Canary Islands, a wedding and a, and a house. A year and a half later, Petard was forced to take up a job at McDonald's flipping burgers. That's him. He says he's happy, though, and his leftover winnings will collect interest. He's happy. He had one point something million, and he's working at McDonald's. Does that make sense to anybody? Maybe preachers do a little bit better. Billy Bob Harold Jr., $31 million in the Texas Lottery. Listen to his story. A Pentecostal preacher working as a stock boy at Home Depot hit the $31 million jackpot in, back in 97. And first life was good with Billy Bob buying a ranch, six other homes. How many homes do you need? <laughs> a several new cars. Like many others who win the lottery, he was unable to say, simply say no when people asked him for a handout. Later in life, he ended up divorcing his wife, eventually committed suicide. The stress apparently too much to handle for this lottery winner. Folks, I'm not making this up. It, it, it does, however, seem consistent with what the Word of God teaches. Put that back up there, Proverbs 23, 5. Riches disappear in the blink of an eye. Wealth spouts wings, what does it say? And flies off into the wild blue yonder. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 49, verse 7. He says, No one can redeem the life of another or give a, God, a give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise die, the foolish and the senseless also perish. 
leaving their wealth to others. The, t- the tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves, you know, Washington Street and Grant Boulevard and the like. Though they've named lands after themselves, people, people, despite their wealth, do not endure. They're like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their saying. Folks, it's not about the money. And the wealth will give you an illusion, only an illusion of security. Does that make sense? And of course, there's the last line. The last lie is contentment is just around the corner. In other words, if I had a a, a little bit more, then I'll be happy. If I had just a little bit more, then I'll be content. There's a lot of people that have fallen into that trap. If I had just a little bit more, according to that trap. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, whoever loves money, what does it say? Help me. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. The New Living says those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Are we listening? Are we hearing what the Bible says? I'm talking to someone out there today. If I could just make a little bit more, then things would be better. could be a trap. We need to be careful about that syndrome. Again, God is not against us making money or having money, but when it's tied to our emotional state. In other words, when I have money, I'm happy. When I don't have money, I'm devastated. Anybody know people like that? Come on, somebody. When it's wrapped up in your emotions, there's a problem because you're never going to be satisfied. So what's the solution? I want you to write this down. The Bible says we need to find true contentment. True contentment. And where do we find true contentment? <laughs> Hello. Someone's been paying attention. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. In other words, it all starts with God. It starts with God. Philippians 4, 11 says, I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. I know what, it's, what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned that the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, what is the secret? What did he say it is? Say it out loud with me. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things. Who is him? Through Jesus who gives me strength. That's a word for somebody. Hebrews 13.5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? In other words, we have something more than material or money on our side. We have our maker. Come on, somebody. We have our maker on our side. And so we can declare with confidence in face of whatever situation, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. 
When the money becomes short and the, uh, when there's more month than money, when the, when the bill collector is staring down, when you're running into situation, the Lord is my helper. I shall not be afraid. When you're facing something in your body and there are medical issues going on, the Lord is my helper. I shall not be afraid. He is inviting us not to be afraid, but to put our confidence in him and to trust him implicitly for whatever's going on in our lives. Say it out with me. The Lord is our helper. And we will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. I will put my trust in you. Sometimes we have to keep reminding ourselves of that. And that's why they, the, the forefathers saw, saw the, the wisdom of reminding us on every dollar bill, every, every bill, every coin. What does that say in there? And they, they never wanted you to look at this, this dollar bill or the money and to put your trust in it because it grows wings and flies away. So somebody in their wisdom said, let's put a reminder on it. It's not in money. It's in God we trust. Amen? Matthew 6, 24 says as much. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and mammon or material things. You'll either love one, hate the other, cling to one, be devoted to the other, but you, you cannot go in two different directions at the same time. You're going to have to make a decision. I'm either going to prioritize God in my life and trust him for my daily needs, or I'm going to spend my time chasing after the almighty dollar and see where that gets you. Well, the Bible tells us, and even our money tells us, put your trust in God. Put your trust in God. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. People do strange things. In some places in this world, your life ain't worth $5. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Because people love money, what they will do for money. Some people will kill, yeah. They'll sell their own children because of money, because they want that money. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Proverbs 28, 19 says this, those who work their land will have plenty of food, but the ones who chase empty dreams instead will end up poor. A truthful person will have many blessings, but those eager to get rich, help me somebody, will be punished. So the solution is to find true contentment, and that all starts in a relationship with God. It starts with God. So how do we get that? By pursuing, write this down, it's your last filling, by pursuing and prioritizing Jesus in our lives. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, and you look up the word all in the Greek, and it means just that, all. All these things will be added to you. And he's telling you to put me to the test. 
put me to the test when it comes to generosity and, and with the supply that he gives you. Put me to the test in those areas. That's the one place in the Bible where he says, test me, is in your giving, is in your supply. And see if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you. It's never an issue of supply, though. It's an issue of obedience and trust. Do I trust that he's going to do it? Or am I going to obey what he's telling me to do? But the supply, the tithe is in the, it's in the supply. Does that make sense? So God calls us to pursue and to prioritize Jesus, and he tells us that we can do all things through him who strengthens us. Whatever you're facing, you can do this. You can make it through this. Whatever difficulty is coming your way, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Amen? Amen. Now let me just remind you, 1 Timothy 6.10 through 12, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, you, woman of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you, were, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What's the good confession in the presence of many witnesses? It's when you accepted Jesus Christ. Amen. When you said, I'm not ashamed, anybody in here willing to say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus in my life? Put those hands up. I'm not ashamed of him. That's your good confession. That's your confession in the presence of many witnesses. That's you saying, I'm a believer in Christ and I trust God implicitly to meet all my needs, to meet my spiritual needs, to meet my physical needs, and yes, to meet my financial needs. The Lord is my helper. I shall not be afraid. <laughs> Amen. I shall not be afraid. How do I take hold of eternal life? You take hold of Jesus. We walk in the contentment of knowing that if we have God, we have all that we need. Does that make sense? And so as we come to a close this morning, that's really the question that you need to ask yourself. Have I prioritized God in my life? Do I have him in my life? And if I haven't, what needs to move up and what needs to move down? God is asking you to, to examine your heart to see if there are any idols. Is there any, an idol? Is anything that's above him is it that you love more than, he, than him? That's what an idol is. And so he's asking you to Remove those things because those things cannot meet your needs like our God can meet our needs. And he's asking us to put our complete trust in our, in our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. As we come to a close this morning, it would be my privilege and my honor to just lead you in a prayer of commitment to him. Those who are listening online, if you've not yet done so, it's not that difficult. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You have to make a decision. Either God is going to be your God or something else is going to be your God. 
And he's saying, those are dumb idols that cannot meet your needs like God can. He's saying, choose me. Choose Jesus. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And if you've not yet accepted Christ as your Savior and your Lord, it'd be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him. Say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you today and I acknowledge my need for a Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, every single one of them. I repent of following after things that are not of you. Show me if I have an idol in my life. And as you reveal them to me, Father, help me to reprioritize your place in my life. Today I seek first my, your kingdom and your righteousness. And I put my trust in you for my salvation in sending your son Jesus. But I trust you for every other need as well. It's in God I trust. Fill me with your spirit, with your power, and with your love. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all said, Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.